Brothers and sisters, good to see you tonight. Just this past week on Thursday, we started RCIA, which is for students, young adults who are, are looking at diving deeper into their faith and potentially receiving sacraments in the Catholic Church. And so that's just a great group. It's a great group. This year's group is great, but every year it's great because you have these young hearts who are like, why do you do this? Why do we do this, right? And they have all sorts of great questions. And it got me thinking about how many of us as Catholics don't know why we do the things that we do. Everything in the Mass has meaning. Everything, right? We take a whole semester course just on the, the, the actions of the Mass and what they mean. But most of us just go through the motions and we don't ever stop and ask the questions, why? Why is that? And there's a great Latin phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi, right? So that means the law, lex is law. The law of prayer, so how we worship, is the law of what we believe. So how we pray reveals what we believe. So think about that in terms of the mass. We gather in song, which is fine. Then we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? And everyone says amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. All fine and good. So far, so good. And then this. Brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Then we take a moment to do just that. And then we begin. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, in what I've done, in what I failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Does that ring a bell? Is that familiar to anyone? Because you just did it like about eight minutes ago. Why do we do that? I know someone coming in with you know, from the outside who's never experienced Mass before, we're like, yeah, that took a dark turn really fast. I mean, we sang a nice song about we're one body, one body in Christ, we don't stand alone. Then we said, hello, like the Lord be with you, with your spirit, and then it went right into sin. And why is that? Is it because Catholics just really love focusing on sin? Like that we want to make sure we all feel guilty? No, of course not. We want to deal in truth. Catholicism deals in truth. And so we have to live in reality because reality is truth and truth is reality. Two truths that we get from starting Mass the way we start. The first is this, that we're all sinners, that we are all in grave need of salvation. No one here is perfect. Not you, not me, none of us. We're all on the same level in need of a Savior. That first truth that we are sinners then sets us up for the even more important and greater truth. That we not only need a Savior, but we have a Savior. And he loves sinners. He's madly in love with sinners. That's why Jesus will say crazy things. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who have no need. He loves sinners. He says elsewhere in the gospel 
The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to save sinners. Well, brothers and sisters, that second truth that we have a Savior who loves us, we will not ever approach the significance of what that actually means unless we spend time with the first, more uncomfortable truth. And that first one is that we're sinners. If we don't acknowledge our sins, if we pretend we're all fine, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, then why need Jesus? What does he offer to us other than a nice way of living? But we need more than just a nice way of living. We actually need salvation. And so to experience that gift, we have to live in reality. It's just how it is. We are sinners. And if we don't live in that reality, things get real twisted really fast, especially in the religious realm. That's tonight's gospel. We hear two people went up to the temple area to pray. Okay, two people, same destination, same purpose, going to the temple to pray, or for our purposes, going to the church, going into the chapel to pray to God. And then the similarities kind of stop because we have the Pharisee who, as the gospel says, took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. Now, just a side note, there's lots of ways to pray. Lots of things you can do when you pray. But if you ever find yourself speaking your prayer to yourself, a thousand times out of a thousand, you're doing it wrong, okay? It's wrong. If you're praying to yourself, you're praying to the wrong person. But that's what he's doing. And as much as you could say, oh, that is wildly off, and it is. If we're honest, it's easy to slide into that. Because once you look at how he's praying, see if something sparks in you. His identity. Well, first what he says, oh God, I thank you. I'm not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on my whole income. He's defining himself first by his actions and he's defining himself in relation to other people. And so at the heart of his prayer is comparison. I'm better than that person over there. I'm better than humanity in general. He's comparing himself just a side note, but a significant one. How much of our sadness today comes from comparison? Especially you young people. You're comparing yourself to one another. That person has it all together. I wish I had those gifts. They know what they're doing in life. They have a great family. They have talents I don't have. And we compare, and we compare, and we compare. And then we identify ourselves precisely through that comparison. So as crazy as this Pharisee is, and he is, it's a terrible prayer. 
do you find something in your life that relates to that? It's so easy for us to turn inward, even in the spiritual life, and define ourselves by our actions and define ourselves over and against our comparison with other people. But in the spiritual life, it doesn't need to work that way. Our actions, they're all a response to grace. Jesus loves us, not the things we do. He might be pleased with a good action, but he loves us. We matter much more than what we do. Jesus clears away all the activity, all the doing, and gets right to the heart of the matter, our being, and says, I love you. Before you did anything good for me, and even after you've done something that's wrong, I love you. That's who the Lord is. And then we have no need in prayer to compare ourselves to other people. We have no need in our lives to compare ourselves to other people. We look at the one who loves us. We let him define us. We let him show us who we really are and then give us a mission to do the things that we need to do. Because yes, our actions matter. Actions follow, but they follow from our being. So the Lord labors to clear away this. That's why he tells this parable, to say, don't go down that path. It's so ridiculously obvious that that is not the right way to be. And then he juxtaposes this Pharisee who's all about himself and defining himself by comparison with a tax collector, the worst of sinners in that society. And what does he do? Rather than take up his position and speak the prayer to himself, we hear that he stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Okay, another side note, but a significant one. Have you ever been there where you're like, I don't even know if I should be in the church? You'd stand off at a distance and just be like, ugh, I don't even want to raise my head to heaven. If you've ever been there, know that you have a home in this church because the Catholic Church exists for sinners. It's right. There's times it's right where we're like, I don't, I don't belong, I'm not worthy of this. And yet in the midst of that tension, the Lord says, come to me. Come to me. You have a home with me because I love sinners. Sinner though you are, I love you. And look what he does, right? By the way, do you recognize this gesture? Where do you think we get that? It's right from this gospel. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, we beat our breasts. It's like this tax collector. Then he makes a great prayer. It is a great prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
See, he's not defining himself or justifying himself by his actions. He's not defining himself or justifying himself by comparing himself to other people. His prayer is right to God. Be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. There's something in him that makes him drawn to the temple to pray. There should be something in all of us sinners that makes us drawn to come here to Jesus and let him heal us. We make prayer like this, this humble prayer, we do leave justified because we're living in the truth. The truth, yes, of our sinfulness, okay. But then that deeper truth, the one that's opened up by acknowledging our sinfulness, that we have a Savior who loves us and his love is greater than anything that we could ever do that would pull us away from him. He comes to us with all of his power to love. That's the power of his mercy. It knows no limit. And that defines us. St. John Paul II, we celebrated his feast yesterday. It's a great line. He said, we are not the sum of our faults and failings. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. We're not the sum of our faults and failings, sinners. We're the sum of the Father's love for us. And that love is on full display at Mass where Jesus gives himself fully and freely, wholly and entirely to us out of love in the Most Holy Eucharist. So my brothers and sisters, may we live in that great freedom, that freedom that comes from living in the truth. Sinners though we are, we have a Savior, and it is his love that defines us.